Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Mr. Adam X, and you're listening to The Pursuit on the Out of Bounds Network. My guest this week is Dave Watson. You might know him as Lucky Dave Watson. He is the king of skiing. He's an East Coast guru. He's summited Everest multiple times. He guides on Everest. He was the first human to do a ski descent from K2. This guy was amazing. Uh, He welcomed me into his home. He had a little time. He was going sea kayaking to go look at whales. And he was like, yeah, I got an hour. Come, Come stop by. So he let me into his house. We did an amazing interview. This guy's outlook on life is fantastic. I always ask all my guests, hey, is there something that you don't want to talk about? So I asked Dave this question, and Dave said, if there's something I don't want to talk about, it's exactly what I want to talk about. So I don't want to talk too much. I hope everyone's having an amazing summer. Get out there, ride your bike, skateboard, kayak, learn a kickflip. Winter's coming, so let's enjoy summer while we have it. I don't waste anyone's time. I already said that. Here we go. Episode whatever of The Pursuit on the Out of Bounds Network, Dave Watson. What, David? Dave? Dave. Lucky yeah. Dave? Uh, Dave, as informal as possible. Okay. Uh, Dave, whenever you're ready, I'm good. Uh, right. Kind of tell everyone who you are, what you do. I'm Dave Watson. I live in the Pacific Northwest, and I take people up and down mountains. I do mountain rescue, and uh, I just try to have a really good time. Were you born and raised here? No, I was born and raised in the Northeast, in Connecticut and Vermont. So when did you move out here? This will be my 12th winter living out here in the Gorge in the Mount Hood area. What brought you here? The mountains, the mountain community, the, the community here in the gorge, uh, the proximity to Portland, the rock and roll scene in Portland, the airport. It's just that this area has it all. The scenic beauty, it's just a really great place to live. It, I mean, I haven't spent a ton of time out here, but I've been out here the last two weeks back and forth for one, the podcast, and two, my, other, my actual job. And like Bend is, my buddy said it to me yesterday, he's like, Bend is like the nicest city in the world. Yeah. Like, I, and then we went there yesterday. I've never seen, like they built a surf wave in their river. Yeah. Oh, it's great. Like yeah. the town built it, not right. like a yeah, bunch yeah. of like us, you know? Yeah, like, no, yeah, it's great. The, yeah. There, there's that, that wave for the surfers and kayakers, but then they built like a little mini rapid run for uh, the kids. Yeah, so it, like I'll take the kids out there. There's six little mini rapids, and they float it and in a little tube, and then they run up the trail, and it's just a really great park for everybody, for people that want to get rad or little kids just trying to not be on the playground, do something else. It's super fun. It's so you just don't see that type of infrastructure on the East Coast. I feel like right. Burlington's like trying, like they're like the closest to like our northeast town that i think like gets it or city but it's so nice every time i go out west i'm like it just makes sense like why aren't we raising people outside why aren't we educating them in like the out like this is what life should be right (laughs) not just like whatever we're living now yeah yeah totally and you know it's they both have their value uh it's just that things in the northeast are so dense 
uh, everything out west is like there's sparse population, there's big open spaces, and there I think is just a more of an appreciation for the outdoors. And you know, growing up, growing up back east was really great. I had a great time. I wouldn't change it for anything. Um, but yeah, it's just a very different vibe, different culture. Where'd you like? What was your home resort back east? Well, I grew. I started skiing when I was nine, and there was a small ski area in the in my hometown in Connecticut called Mount Southington. Okay. And so I started skiing there, but then started going up to Vermont to go skiing, or or Massachusetts, New Hampshire, and Maine. You just everything in the Northeast is within a three to four hour drive, so you can just go everywhere. Did you know? Do you consider yourself a skier, a climber, or a mountaineer, I guess is my first question, or all of the above? Um, yeah, I just am, so I consider myself somebody who likes to have fun in the mountains. I don't <laughs> I like it. That. Yeah, I like that's that my kind of like big umbrella sort of category. But I guess my lead, because you've, you've made a career, you've made a lifestyle living out of this. When did you know it was going to be like, that's what you were going to do? Like when you were young and you I started- still don't know that's what I'm going to do. It's just <laughs> what I'm doing. I'm just like, I just want to live my life that like, have it feel right and have it feel like I'm doing something that really, um, makes me feel like I belong somewhere and I feel like I belong in the mountains. I really enjoy going to the mountains. It's my sanctuary. It's my, um, it's just where I feel at peace. And, and so the mountain sports are, uh, they're just a way to be in the mountains in this special place and feel some thrill and excitement and happiness. And, um, and yeah, I've just made a, a life out of being in the mountains. And, but like, I don't, I don't know what next year holds. I don't know what the year after holds. I suspect I'll be doing stuff <laughs> in the mountains, but I'm just kind of open to the opportunities that life presents. I guess my question is what, what led you to that? Was there anything that got you there or was it like, did you go to college and work a regular job and you were like, this isn't my calling or did you naturally like you started working at a ski resort and then you started maybe doing ski patrol and like taking, like getting educated in the outdoors. Yeah. I mean, I started, I grew up skiing and then I started rock climbing and then the rock climbing and ice climbing and I uh, went to a, uh, a college program in Western Mass at Greenfield Community College, the Outdoor Leadership Program. And that was a very pivotal time in my life. It was enlightening. It was, um, it was just uh, like a, it, I got, made a lot of great friends and was exposed to a lot of different opportunities, got a lot of great training and got into guiding. And, and then once I started guiding in the summers, I started ski patrol in the winters and it be just became this thing that I really enjoyed. And I'm basically still doing it today, like a little different flavor, but I'm still doing all that stuff today over 20 years later. What's the worst part about guiding? 
Um, That's a loaded question. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I mean, for me, I think it's different for everybody. For me, it's being away from the friends and family, like just constantly being on the road. It's also having your friends and family worry about your safety, especially if you're guiding somewhere like Nepal, like on Everest. People, your, your loved ones are genuinely worried about you. And for something that feels really fun and right, it's kind of a bummer to have the people around you be worried and sketched out that you're going to do this stuff. So for me, that's the big negative. How do you manage that? I mean, I get, I, all the people in your life, they have to understand that that's like what makes you you. But do you ever feel... Like, is there ever a point... I, I always wonder that. Like, is there ever a point where you're like, should I not be doing this because of the other people around me? Yeah, and I think that that analysis, that evaluation of self and the situation is essential for just living a life that you feel is correct for you and being on the correct path. And yeah, it's like you've got to weigh the pros and cons and it's just like, it's got to make sense. So uh, yeah, I mean, you, you keep, keep it in check just by constant communication and just being upfront with, hey, like this is what I do for work and I'm gonna be away a lot because this is what the job requires. And, you know, as far as the safety aspect, I think certain people are, they're always going to worry because it's maybe just in their nature or because you're just genuinely doing dangerous stuff. However, they trust your judgment and they trust your experience and your skill sets and, and they know that you're going to make the right decisions. However, Nature in the mountain doesn't give a fuck what your plan is or what your training is and shit happens and the people around me know that and I think that's why they worry is because it's not that they doubt my skills or experience. It's just like you can't control nature. And I think that's the best advice you can ever tell anybody is that you can't control nature because that's what we assume. Like we take our avi one and our outdoor wilderness and all these things and like you can plan all you want right especially for what you're doing but like your weather window is 12 hours and that could shift in an instant right how do you prepare for how long well let's go let's backtrack a little bit you guide on everest how long have you been doing that well the this past season was the first time i actually guided on everest but i climbed everest a couple times in the early 2000s or mid 2000s and had a great time there. It felt really comfortable. And I just really enjoy expedition climbing and expedition guiding. So um, I've just made a shift in my life and now I'm back in the game. Now I'm doing what feels most right to me. And that clientele is very specific versus like guiding here like they know people who sign up to do an expedition on Everest know what they're getting into 
For the most part, yeah. <laughs> Dude, like, I, mean, know, that, that's I think that's Yeah, I, I think Everest is is a very special place. The mountain is absolutely incredible. Because it's the tallest, it attracts a whole lot of different types of folks. Some of which don't know what they're signing up for. They just have a lot of disposable income and they are trophy collectors. Other people are you know, genuine climbers and they know what they're getting into. Um, but with expedition climbing, you have a lot of time with the folks. So if they are entering the experience with a lack of awareness or a particular mindset that is not conducive to, um, to safety or teamwork or uh, a favorable outcome, you have plenty of time to talk with them and get them in the right mindset and, and sort of illuminate why people are climbing the mountain and why people are visiting certain areas um, and just give them perspective. So, uh, yeah, it's a, and that's one of the reasons I like expedition climbing is you get to spend so much time with these folks that you get to share a, a very specific or unique perspective on why people choose to spend their lives in the mountains and what it really means to them. And when, you're, when you are bringing this guest into this sacred space, you're really letting them know um, how other people feel about it and why other people are there and what the experience, what the potential for the experience can be. I think a lot of people go into these, these uh, guided mountain experiences with their own goals and, and I always try to ask them up front, like, what are your goals for the trip? What do you want to get out of this? And just figure out just where they're at and whatever their goals are, it gives me great insight in just to where their head is and what they're focusing on. And from there, I can either take it and run with it or, um, or just kind of give them a little insight as to like, well, you know, I'm here to facilitate an experience where you may or may not get to the top. And the top is just the La it's like the furthest point of turning around. It's the last po possible point we're going to turn around. And if we're on a six-week climb and you're just focused on this summit, which may only be 20 minutes or one hour, you are going to be missing out. You're just focusing on this fleeting moment of one hour on a six-week trip. It's like you really need to enjoy the this full six weeks and if you do if you focus on the moment and you learn then if we don't get to the summit then the trip is not what you consider to be a failure you know to me the the only failure is to not fully appreciate the moment and or or get hurt uh, you know to when i'm guiding Safety is my number one priority. That's always my number one goal for these folks. So it really depends on how these folks define success and how I can um, take their perspective, their goals, 
and create a, a great experience for them. Do you feel, mo well, how do you pick your clientele? Like, are there certain, like, uh, is there a checklist that they have to hit before, like, you can't just say, like, I've done one ski tour at my local resort and then sign up for Everest. Right. And it's been so, you just hear so many horror stories about Everest and, like, there's a lot of people with a lot of money and there's a lot of bad companies and I don't know any or will I say any that I think are bad companies, but it's been commercialized. Right. So like, how do you, you clearly sound like your, your experience and what you want your client's experience to be is like, it's the journey. It's the, it's the whole thing. It's not just this one point on the map that you're trying to get to. It's this six weeks. But how do you, I think some companies are like, we're going to get you there. We're going to get you there no matter what, because if we don't get you there, then it looks bad on our success rate throughout. Right. Like when we, you know, we advertise, we had 12 of 12 make it this year. Right. What, how do you feel about the, I guess the question is, how do you feel about the commercialization of Everest? And is there a way to properly manage that? Uh, I... It's yeah. It's a, there's there's a lot to that. I feel like uh, it, a mountain like Everest, you know, there's there are these very experienced folks that go, and then there are other folks that are there that are lacking in experience. And people will say like, "Oh, well, that person doesn't belong here." And it's like, well, nobody belongs here. Nothing lives up here. <clears throat> this is a, a a place that is just it's too high, too cold to to live here. So in essence, like nobody belongs here. But if you are going to judge who belongs here based on their experience, then I think we're just kind of missing missing out on something. My first time to Everest, I hadn't been above thirteen thousand feet before. I had I mean, I had a lot of rock and ice climbing experience. I had a lot of ski experience. I had been working in the outdoor industry for a long time. But I was missing that, like, that silver bullet of high-altitude experience. So I am that person who went there that, you know, quote-unquote, didn't belong. And, and I had a great time. Did it you was, feel that awesome. when you were there? Yeah, yeah, because I was going with people that had a, <coughs> I was going with people that had a lot of experience. So yeah, I am that person that didn't belong, and I had an excellent time there. And you don't know if you can do something until you try it. So there are a lot of people coming from all over the world to give it a go. And I admire that. And if, if they don't have that experience and they are choosing this absolutely epic adventure to go and test themselves, I, I really applaud that. Like, I love that kind of attitude of just diving in head first and seeing what happens. I mean, that is true adventure when you just don't know what the outcome is going to be. So... Yeah, I mean, I, I, and I, a lot of people there, a lot of people uh, that have been to Everest, especially people that have been to Everest in the past, they just start talking shit about the current state of Everest, all the people that are there. And it's like, well, things freaking change. And 
Um, and it's not like it's changing for the better or worse. It just is what it is. And, um, you know, just like certain surf spots blow up or this little mom and pop ski area gets a couple new lifts and then it turns into a giant world-class resort like Revelstoke. And it's just, it is what it is. And it's not a, a, a bad thing. Uh, and so like, why judge it as a bad thing? And yeah, the, it, Everest is one of those places where people talk shit about it. The media just loves to talk shit about it. And it's largely like people that have never been there and have never sat down and talked to somebody who truly loves it and can explain why they love it and the magic surrounding it. So, yeah, it's just there. there's a lot of shit talking on Everest and... It's just not, I think it's not justified, in my opinion. It's an absolutely magical place. And yeah, there are a lot of people there that are, uh, you know, kind of on the lower end of the skill scale. But you train them while they're there and you take them up. And you, you and especially if you are a conscious guide, you're going to give them an experience that is safe relatively safe just because it's Mount Everest. It's a loose term. But uh, but you're going to get them to the point where they're pushing themselves. You're going to take them beyond, way beyond their comfort zone and but within your guiding ability and then you're going to turn them around and send them back down or or take them back down. And, uh, and that just gives them that experience and those skills to come back and try again. And... Yeah, it's like a, we go climbing. It's really nice to get to summits and stuff like that. But really, it's just about being out in nature and being up on the mountain. I don't know if I answered that question. I think, I think, I think yeah. you did. I think you did because it, it was basically, you know, it's gatekeeping. And gatekeeping happens everywhere. Yeah, I think, that, yeah, the I think that's totally bullshit. To yeah, the yeah. biggest, you know, to Everest. Like there's gatekeep. It's that's what it is. I mean, we don't. Yeah. Sweet. I didn't say that, but it's gatekeeping. Yeah. And your take on it is, ref- like everyone should get to experience that if they want to. Right. So that's. Yeah, I mean, it's limiting just because Everest is such a huge financial. Uh, it just it's just a huge investment of money and time for for folks. So it's not accessible for the vast majority of people, but. I feel like if you want to try something in life, you'll make it happen. And who am I to say like, oh, you don't belong here or you're not a part of the club or what? You know, like, I think that's completely bullshit. Yeah, you it's know? a refreshing and, take. It really is. Because, again, what I get is, you know, I'm not talking to people who climb Everest a couple times, you know, in their life, let alone once. But, like, it's a refreshing take because I just see the media side of it. Right. So it is not like you see... You know, what was that two years ago or three years ago on like the hill? I think it was the Hillary step. Like there was like a, a giant traffic jam and that's all they talk about. They don't talk right. about like probably all the other beautiful things that happened. Well, and that was that that traffic jam there, that lineup of people was only a couple hours out of one particular day out of the entire season. Right. So but that's exactly it. It's it. like it's a, the one, next day there was nobody up there. Right. It's just so what we talk it's about. It's just, yeah, it's that, you know, and that goes into 
the strategy of some people that kind of like herd mentality. And I mean, there, there's a lot that caused that particular incident to happen, but it, um, it's certainly not like that at all. And if the media wants to focus on that negative kind of shit, then like it, that's just shitty journalism as far as I'm concerned. But, uh, but yeah, the, the people that want to limit who goes there and, and what's going on there, it's like, it, it's, I mean, I could see a lot of times it's done in the guise of safety but also, um, I think people know what they're getting themselves into. They know that it's super dangerous. And if they want to go and risk their life, go for it. Who am I to say you're not going to? You know, like I, I could rock up to any small airport and be like, I want to go skydiving today. And they're going to be like, sweet, sign here. Yeah, sign and here. It's uh, 250 pay. bucks. And, you know, it's like, that, that's a, they, it, it's, it, there are plenty of dangerous experiences or potentially d- catastrophic experiences you can go and buy into, and it's not a big deal. But it's, yeah. a, it's a good take. It really is. Getting in a plane, paying a stranger 250 bucks, and jumping out of a plane is arguably just as dangerous as climbing it's, And it's way more accessible. Oh, 100%. Yeah, that's a good take. I like that. I look at Everest like I, I'm obsessed with Everest and all because I just every time I watch a documentary and like there's some you know it's obviously probably pretty hard to get cameras up there but like I watch it and I'm like no way there's no way I would like if someone was like here's a free sponsor trip we'll pay you we'll got like I'd be like no way like I I have no so like hats off to anybody who does and hats off like when you see some of the people that do it. You're like, good for you to have that. Like, of course you climb Everest. You're the type of person that I would like assume would climb Everest. But like the rich doctor who like pays his way in, like we talked about, but he deserves to be there just as much as you do. Right. And the fact that that guy who has a extremely comfortable life, presumably makes a good living and is like a lawyer or a doctor is like, I want to take eight weeks off and climb one of the hardest mountains, the tallest mountain on the planet. Mm-hmm. Power to them. Right. Yeah, yeah, totally. And who are we to say you you should or shouldn't be there? I mean, I, I think that sort of judgment and that exclusion is totally bullshit. And, it, you know, to me, it's the same thing as like, oh, you can't come in this club because of the color of your skin. Like, it, that's really fucked up. Yeah, it's just gatekeeping. Yeah. With a place that honestly almost gatekeeps it itself, like you got to be a special type of human to even want to do it in general. Well, yeah, you got to have like a, a certain flavor of crazy just to like want to go there and try. So to if do you're that there, shit. then you deserve. If you even think that you should be there, arguably you should be there. Well, yeah, exactly, <laughs> and that that's that's what people were were saying about K two and trying to ski K two. They're like, "You're a fucking idiot. What are you crazy and all this shit?" And it's like, no, I just. I think I could do it. I, like, I, I look at it, and it looks fun to me. And they're like, oh, well, it doesn't look fun to me. I'd never do that. And it's like, that's why you're not doing it. That, you know, It's and, as simple as that exactly. when you say it like that. Let's talk about K2. It's harder, right, arguably? Like it's, yeah, yeah. It's a way harder route to climb. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, the if you compared Everest and K2, I mean, they're almost the same height, but uh, K2 is a lot steeper and the weather is generally just really shitty. And there's way less like roots. Like yeah, there's I mean, lines it, laid up on Everest, right? Like yeah, but like a, everybody on Everest is climbing either the the route on the north side or the south side. And for the north side, it's been shut down for the past two years. So, um, and uh, and the yeah, the Nepali side was shut down in 2020. It was open this year, but everybody on Everest is climbing the same way. On K2, you generally have, on the, most people, vast majority of people, right, 99.8% are going to the south side of K2. And there are two different routes coming up from base camp. And they converge at the high camp. So, you, you know, there's way less people there. And the crowd is spread out amongst these two routes. So, it's... Uh, a little more sort of like peaceful climbing experience there. It has changed in the past few years, these bigger teams. Now there's a bunch of Nepali operators going and guiding. Um, so it's, it's different. I mean, the last time I was there was 12 years ago. And actually today is the 12 year, like to the day anniversary that I skied down the bottleneck. That's amazing. So, well, congratulations. <laughs> Happy 12 years. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's been a while, but uh, but yeah, K two is is just a very different flavor of mountain. What made you want to ski it? I just thought it could. It just looked fun to me. I love that answer. So I just wanted to go and do it. That's such a genuine answer. I thought I could. For anyone listening, if you think you can do something, you can do it. <laughs> yeah, you could try. How supported were you? Um, it was me and another buddy. That in 2009 when I went, it was me and a buddy, and we um, we didn't have any Sherpa support, but we had uh, Sherpa friends who were working on other teams that helped us out by uh, getting some oxygen up high for us. So they dropped some so, for you. Yeah, so we did have, I mean, I can't say it wasn't unsupported, but... <laughs> there wasn't 30 people in the background. Yeah, yeah, we didn't we didn't have people. We weren't like climbing it with little day packs while Nepalis and, and Pakistani high altitude porters were carrying all the loads and stuff like that. So you carried all your skis, your boots. Yeah, I care I feel like that's one of those things in like ski mountaineering, like you got to at least carry your skis. <laughs> you know, if somebody else is carrying your skis that is I I don't know. I mean, it, it is like everybody does it there. Like if you don't want to carry your skis, fine, that's cool. But for me, like it's one of the very few things, like I use oxygen, you know, I'll, I'll hire a Sherpa. I'm not above any of that stuff, but carrying my own skis is just like, it's probably the only thing that is like my personal boundary, but you do whatever you want to do. <laughs> Was the skiing good or was it god awful? Um, it was good in the in the way of you're in a spectacular place. You're skiing above eight thousand meters. You're in this fabled location. Like it, it, it's super heady and magical, like that. But as far as 
the the actual snow quality um yeah it's it's like really shitty the skiing's terrible <laughs> i mean it's like breakable crust and ice and just like this wind blown bullshit it's just it's not great but it like that's what big mountain skiing is like true big mountain skiing is skiing ice and sastrugi and wind affected snow up high you might find a little ribbon of of good powder in the middle of these mountains and then down low it's all like either frozen corn or melted out mank so you're just you're you're going through these big elevation bands on such a huge mountain where you're experiencing all the snow conditions do you think it's easier to ski down or physically hike down? Because that's like the hardest, correct me if I've never done anything big, but like that's the hardest, like coming down is usually harder. Yeah, because you're smoked. You're cooked. You're and like you hit tired. like this, like if you summit Everest, you have that like adrenaline rush and then you still have a 12, 15 hour day how do you to get well, down yeah like, i mean most people are like people are so focused and this is one of the things i talk to my clients about is everybody's so focused on the summit but the summit is halfway you still got to get down so if you spend everything you got and burn everything you got getting to the top how are you going to get down you know it's like you don't if you were going to swim across a lake you're not looking at the middle of the lake like I just got to get there and you know, you're going to like swim as hard as you can and, and get to the middle of this swim exhausted. Like that's not how it fucking works. You got to be looking at the end. You got to, it's a round trip thing with climbing. You got to be able to get back to base camp. So when you get to the top, yeah, you could be tired, but like you can't be absolutely fucking exhausted. Like, you know, if, that's the case then you're kind of blowing it and you're making things really difficult and sketchy for the people around you so yeah you've you've got to be feeling good when you're up there because you got a long way to get down and when you're coming down you've got you're no longer like working against gravity you're working with gravity so a little trip or stumble could be a big deal because you could fall a long way and depending on where you are on the mountain, the steepness of the terrain, a fall could be deadly. And with climbing, uh, you're generally clipped into these ropes. So if you fall or need to stop and rest, you have a rope there protecting you. But with skiing, you don't have that. So if you fall, you're, you're gone. It's over. Game over. Yeah. So it's a, you know, it's a much higher consequence, uh, depending on where you are. It's, I think the skiing is, a, can be a little bit slower because, uh, when you're, when you're skiing, it's really sort of explosive dynamic movement, especially if you're in really challenging snow conditions, you're jump turning and things like that. And, um, if you're jump turning on ice and breakable crust and all this kind of stuff, it's like really, um, it's, it's a lot of physical exertion and you're not getting into a good breathing rhythm. And when you're above 8,000 meters, it's so hard to breathe anyway, 
So you make a jump turn and then you've got to sit there and huff and puff and hyperventilate until you can get your shit together again and kind of scope out where the next turn is going to be. Because if you blow it, you're dead. So it's got to be very calculated in that way, which makes it slower. Whereas the people walking down clipped into a rope, they don't have that level of consequence. And they're walking. They could get into a nice rhythm and just you know, walk as fast or as slow as they want, time it with their breathing, and get into a nice rhythm. So sometimes the walking down is faster than the skiing. On the mid-mountain and lower mountain, of course, the skiing is faster because you can just kind of let it rip because you're generally finding like better snow conditions or um, easier terrain or you're just able to breathe because you're lower on the mountain. Yeah, that's... I'm glad you answered it that way because I'm glad... I wouldn't think that it's faster. That walking would be faster than skiing down. Like you'd think skiing, you you know, you let them loose and you go. But you're survival right. skiing. You're not... I mean, you're skiing. You're on right, skis. Right, you're not ripping. Like, you're like... You're clenched. You can't breathe. <laughs> like yeah. you're... Yeah, you're hop-turning your way down, which is exhausting on 800 foot of vertical. Right. <laughs> let alone K2. Yeah, that's a, I like that. That's a, that's a hot take because I wouldn't think of it like that. Yeah, I mean, there's, there, and that's the case with a lot of mountaineering and ski mountaineering. It's like once you really start thinking about it, certain aspects of it, it's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But it, it's all so nuanced and it really, like what, what goes down on one mountain, um, and the strategy and techniques you employ on one mountain are not the same on the next. So it's all really variable. How do you plan for that? Or you just trust your skill set? Yeah, you just have a really big toolbox, you know? <laughs> like you've got all your, you just like cumulative experience from all your time in the mountains, all the people you've talked to and heard stories from and and spent time with sitting around in tents and storms like all of this just goes into this um, big toolbox and when you're doing something that is um, like these techniques that have always served you in the past and they're not working then yeah it's time to try something else how do you manage risk reward like, is that a struggle when you're out there or do you just, it has to be, I mean, and it has to change, I guess, as you get older and now you have a family and like that, how do you manage that? Right. I don't, I don't feel like my, my, um, acceptance or aversion to risk has changed throughout my life or with different phases of my life, having, becoming a father or anything like that. Because I've just, I've always felt like I've been fairly conservative in that way of like the boundary is death and we're not going near that. Like we're not going there. So when in my personal climbing, I may take more risks than when I'm guiding, but I feel like I'm still very conservative of knowing like, hey, this, this isn't worth it. I'm out here for fun. 
And if I'm scaring the shit out of myself, it's not like that's not cool anymore. And um, <clears throat> yeah, it's a, it, I, I'm one of those people that is always looking when I'm getting into these situations and guiding, I'm looking at worst case scenario. What's the worst thing that can happen? Shit goes really sideways. What's it going to look like? And what would I do? Like, how do I manage that? And, and kind of plan backwards. So like, how do I not, how do I avoid that situation altogether? Because if it happens, I know what to do because I've already thought about it, but I don't want it to happen. And, uh, for a multitude of reasons for myself or for the client or for whoever people around, I want to handle my shit. So, um, I know what the worst case scenario is and what could possibly take me there as far as the decision making or the weather or, or conditions, whatever. And, and I just sort of plan backwards and keep my eyes open for those things that are going to take me into that worst case scenario. And that keeps me out of those situations. Which leads me to my next question or statement i guess you were in a really bad avalanche right yeah well i mean i think any I mean, avalanche you're buried yeah <laughs> they're all bad. bad but you know avalanches themselves are not bad it's just when people are caught in them they're perceived as bad was it avoidable totally yeah it was um and yeah, there were, there were a lot of, lot of considerations there. And in hindsight, yeah, we made the wrong decision to ski that slope. However, it's, it's what we did. And it's, it's one of those experiences that provided a lot of learning for everybody involved. So you know, in the end, it, you know, I, I can't say it was a negative thing because a lot of good came out of it. But yeah, it was, it was not ideal. Did it change your perspective? Like, no, no, it didn't. I mean, it, it changed the way I um, go about decision making in very specific situations. Um, it changed my, it changed my approach to doing certain work missions on the job. Um, yeah, I mean, there was a a lot of learning that came from it. Um, and if I had to do it all again, I would have done it differently, but I am grateful for the experience and for the the learning that came out of it. I'll accept that answer. <laughs> Not like I have a choice. But do you have any advice for someone who wants to get into this? Like who wants to like, how do you, you know, you don't just go from like skiing in Vermont to climbing Everest. Was there one there's never one turning point like but is there like something that like 
you can recommend to anybody or is it just get outside and like i mean get outside do your thing but like listen to your gut and do what feels right if something looks fun to you or looks like you want to do it absolutely do it try it uh but you know yeah don't be hasty don't be reckless and if you can find a mentor i mean really if you can find a mentor or a group of buddies who are uh, who you feel are safe and that um, you feel safe around you trust their judgment um, then like that is gold to go out and because really that's what it's all about is just going out and having fun with your buddies and if you can find a group of people that are doing these things and now there's all kinds of clubs and like you, you can you can find people they're out there for sure it's just whether or not their vibe and their personalities jive with like who you are and what you want what your goals are but if things do line up where you find a group of folks or find uh, an adventure partner and you feel really comfortable with one another, then you've hit the jackpot. And if you find a mentor or somebody that is um, highly experienced or just has more experience than you and they are willing to share that wisdom with you and you get along, jackpot you know those those are the things that really um accelerate the learning because i mean it's like we can be self-taught but being self-taught means you don't have those like backstops of like am i really doing this right and um, and it takes a long time you know if you had to teach yourself math like you'd probably be a shitty mathematician and it would take forever. <laughs> However, like you had a math teacher in school and you learned how to do things correctly and you learned it way faster. So it's the same with the outdoor skills. Like when you start skiing or snowboarding, get lessons, you know, go out skiing with people that are really good and observe their, their movement. Um, but yeah, just, just kind of be open to all the, the learning possibilities that are around you. I think the willingness to learn is always like the key for outdoor for anything in general. But like someone said it to me best. Cause when I was younger, we were like doing, you know, we're in like our full tilt boots and we're going to like tux and we were fine and we were safe, but like totally different than how we do it now. Right. But like when we were young, we're all know-it-alls. Mm-hmm. And as I get older, I'm learning that like I can learn something from, my nephew who's six right it might be not it might be something i don't care about like it might be about minecraft right but like the fact that this kid knows like i've been on this earth 31 years longer than he has and he can teach me something that was like such a a simple lesson of like willingness to learn yeah which was i think is a huge hot take when you go into the you know survival situations in the outdoors willingness to learn willingness to grow and like someone who you know i'm sure there's there's expeditions that you're on where you're the expert or you could be the novice like there's people who are but like you still have something to teach them right and and that's it it's it's that willingness to learn and be open to learning from anybody 
but also like the willingness to fail and the willingness to suck at something. Yeah. Like it, it's totally okay to suck at skiing or suck at snowboarding or whatever and like take lessons. And if you want to get better, you will. But it, it like your ability level doesn't matter at all. Getting out there and trying it and and just having a go at it, that's what really matters in life is like you just the willingness to try and go for it. And it's okay to fail. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to not be the best skier on the mountain. And um, it always brings me back to this this quote I read. It was written inside a, a porta potty on the door, like <laughs> porta potty graffiti in Waco Tanks, Texas. It said the best climber in the world is having the, is the one having the most fun. And it was um, said by Alex Lowe. And that was that was really it. It's like it doesn't matter if you're the best or if you absolutely suck. If it's like or if it's your first time or whatever, it's totally okay. And like really, it's just about having fun, and that's it. And if you take away that judgment of like, oh, my skill set needs to be at this point or this level, you're kind of missing out. You're cheating yourself a little bit. And just having that fun in the moment and being like, oh my gosh, this is, this is amazing. Even though what I'm doing is not at all what that person over there is doing. You know, like I, I, when I play tennis, I don't compare to myself to Roger Federer. I just <laughs> like go out and whack the ball around. You know, it's like it, it, it's uh, just go to do it and have fun. It's so refreshing to hear you at the, your level of mountaineering, skiing, climbing, whatever you want to call it, guide, guiding. It's still about fun. Like we forget about this, especially in the ski industry, I think. It's like everyone's so serious and we talked about gatekeeping a little bit. And like at the end of the day, we're sliding down a mountain on these things that we can kind of control. Yeah. Like, I don't care if you're snowboarding, if you're sledding, like if you are outside, like it's all about fun. Like that's like the top of the pyramid. It's like, you know, sledding, like if we broke it up into like food pyramid, like the right. top is fun. Like yeah. That's, that's the main goal. That's the goal. And it's amazing and refreshing to hear someone of your experience say that it's just about fun. Cause I think people forget that, including myself sometimes like, yeah. You know, yesterday I was, we were doing a technical mountain bike climb and I'm not a great mountain biker and the people I'm with are, and I'm like, I'm not having fun. And then I thought of a quote that Shane McFalls said recently, he's, he filmed all the traveling circus. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the only thing you control is your attitude. Yeah. And I'm like climbing and I'm mad and I, I flipped the switch. I thought about it and I was like, I'm having a blast. Like I'm learning, I'm getting better, I'm not getting worse at this sport. And I'm, and it was amazing that like midway through the climb, I, changed my attitude and I started having fun just like I'm in I'm in Portland doing podcasts mountain biking like what am I complaining about right like, that it's hard yeah. that's the goal that is the goal so it's refreshing and I said it and I'll say it again having a conversation with you and someone of your stature and your your abilities to just be like it's fun that's why we do this right that that that's the whole point is just to have fun. And there's a lot of learning and personal growth that happens, but it's, you know, we're, 
we're not in you know doing this research we're not like in working in a lab to cure cancer or cure some rare disease or something like that like this isn't this isn't this big profound like noble work like we're going out and freaking riding bicycles yeah, out in the forest selfish in a way. Shit. We're doing it's this totally like, selfish. I can't work. And that's in a why lab. it better fucking be fun. <laughs> yeah, like cuz it's absolutely selfish and if you're not having fun, you're blowing it. Yeah, you're doing it wrong. Right. You should well, yeah, that's it. Uh, what's real quick cuz I know you're on a schedule. I know at the beginning of this you said you don't know what you'll be doing next year, but what's next? Do you have any projects lined up? Any major goals? Yeah, so I'll be working this this the the rest of this summer and autumn, guiding in the Cascades. Uh, I'll have a little bit of time off and getting the um, the Avalanche School up and running, and then I'll be teaching Avalanche courses from probably December first to maybe beginning of February or maybe end of January. And then it looks like I'll be going to Beijing to ski patrol for the Olympics. And then there's talk about um, a ski mountaineering trip or ski guiding trip in Bhutan in March. And then Everest, April, May. Um, and then, yeah, it's just... Sounds like you know what you're it's doing fun, for the next yeah, six, it's, seven it's, months. It's, there's, there's a lot there. Yeah. Where there's, can people follow you? Where can they sign up for... Is it your own guiding or like yeah, where I work people, for, I work for a number of different companies, but, um, as far as my presence, uh, they can reach me through the avalanche school, mountainsavvy.com, And then also on Instagram at lucky Dave Watson. Cool. Anything else you want to say? No, thanks a lot for the opportunity. It was fun. Thank you for you. fitting this in. I know you've been home for like 24 hours and I'm taking an hour of it. So I appreciate it. And yeah, thanks for being on me. Yeah, you're welcome. So that was episode 24 of The Pursuit on the Outer Bounds Network. Dave Watson's rad. We all know that. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Follow at Lucky Dave Watson. Follow at Mr. Adam X. Follow at Out of Podcast. Leave a five-star review. Leave a one-star review. Leave a review. Let us know what you like. Let us know what you don't like. Thanks for listening. Peace.